Hey, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Tree of Life Church podcast. It's our prayer that these messages help connect you to the life, love, and power of Jesus. I want to let you know that I am so excited to be back and share the word this morning. So get your Bibles out. It is Resurrection Sunday, so we're going to get to that, Luke 24. Uh, but in getting ready for this weekend, and my wife and I actually, we were really busy on our trip and different places and activities, and so I didn't really take the time, I felt like, to uh, be able to study and prepare. I was in the moment for a lot of things as we were praying and encouraging and ministering and doing things of that sort. And so we got back late Tuesday night and, and trying to adjust these, next, these last couple days and just like, God, what is... What is it you want to speak to Tree Life Church this, this day? And, and I know it's Resurrection Sunday, and we need to look at the empty tomb and celebrate that and, and be reminded of what he's done, and we're going to do that for sure. But I really felt a burden in my heart to start with the cross, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't want to come up here and sound apologetic to you in doing that, but there's not a resurrection without a crucifixion, right? And there's not a crucifixion unless there's going to be a resurrection in God's plan, amen? There's not a death unless there's going to be a, a raise to life again. And so uh, I shared some of these things on Friday night at the Good Friday service. And afterwards, I just really felt, actually while I was studying for Good Friday, felt impressed to go there again a little bit this morning and then walk us through that and then into the resurrection part. And I, and I hope that it really ministers to you today. And so I wanna look at a story in Luke 24 in verses 32 through 34. And it's uh, two men that are walking along a road. And we'll, let me read that in just a second. Let me give you some background. Uh, Jesus has already been crucified. He's already died on the cross. And now we see his disciples scattering and, and, and everybody disappointed because uh, he's dead. And they never thought it would end that way. They had greater hopes, the Messiah, uh, things would change, he would change things. And so uh, we find these two gentlemen walking on the road, the road to Emmaus. Uh, Emmaus is their hometown. It's not a, a big town town. It's, it's hard to find. I don't know you could find it today. And we've had tours over in Israel and they kind of say it's over in this general area, but there's nothing really to let you know. So they're just two guys going home and they're going home in disappointment. They're going home because what they just saw, their hopes and dreams that were in Jesus and all that he was talking about. And they wanted to see, you know, his kingdom and all these things happen in their eyes and in their mind. All that ended was his death. And so they're taking a seven mile journey. They're walking along the road. What's interesting about the story is all of a sudden Jesus decides he's resurrected now. He decides to join them on the journey. So he's walking behind them a little bit, just kind of listening, leaning in to what they're talking about. And they're just really talking about how disappointed they are. And the Bible talks about their countenance being down, their head hung down. And, and Jesus pipes up and says, hey guys, what are you talking about? And this is so funny. I should have put this scripture on the screen. This is so funny. Like, what are you talking about? And he goes, and, and Cleopas, one of the two, looks at him and says, are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know what happened? Like, have you been living in a cave? Like, only for three days. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Where you been, man? And so uh, they, they're talking about Jesus and everything that happened, hopes and dreams and all that now they figure is over. And Jesus corrects them. I mean, they don't know it's Jesus, but he starts talking about, you know, who he is. He starts talking about himself all the way back in the Old Testament with Moses and the Old Testament prophets and takes them all up, basically almost kind of like scolding them in a sense saying, you apparently didn't pay attention. He's thinking, you didn't pay attention to anything I said, obviously, much less the teachings in the Old Testament. They get to their destination for the night and uh, Jesus acts like he's gonna go on and they beg him to say, hey, why don't you stay? They don't know it's him yet. Let's break bread together. Let's eat and take it. Let's get started again in the morning. So Jesus goes in with them. He takes bread and he breaks the bread and 
As he breaks the bread, um, all of a sudden the Bible says, and he hands him the bread, and he breaks it, hands it to him, and then their eyes are open, and they recognize who Jesus is, and then Jesus disappears. And now we're going to pick up the story after this moment. So Luke 24, 32, they ask each other, now listen to this, they ask each other, we're not our hearts, I'm going to emphasize a few words for you, we're not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures up to us. And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, and they found the 11 and those with them and assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Now, I want to take a moment and just talk about that, that instant right there, that instant. So Jesus has already exposed who he is in a sense, and I believe this. I believe as he broke bread, as they did every day, every meal, they break bread together, they broke bread, he handed them the bread, the scripture says, and I believe in that moment they saw the nail scars in his hand. I mean, because it's in that moment of breaking bread, and there's something symbolic about the breaking of bread and his broken body that I believe added to that recognition moment. But I believe as they're there with him and they see the scars in his hand, all of a sudden that light bulb comes on and they recognize Jesus and then Jesus disappears. But then something amazing happens in their discussion, which we just read. So there's a recognition of Jesus and then in their conversation with each other, revelation comes on who he really is. See, there's a recognition of this is the guy that died on the cross. But now as they're beginning to talk with each other, man, something's burning in our heart. The scriptures have become open to us. It's almost like the light bulb came on and said, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, he's resurrected. That everything he said was true. There's something more to this than what we ever realized. And now revelation came. And I want to say this this morning, how important it is to have godly relationship and small group and interaction with other people. You won't really get a full revelation of who God is unless it's in the context of interaction with other people. Thank you, front row over here. I'm going to preach to you. That's <laughs> where my family sits. No. <laughs> it's important to have those moments because we, we can understand Jesus on the cross. I have the cross right here. We can understand this right here. But the last time I checked, the cross has two beams. It has one vertical and one horizontal. And so to have both of those working together is a picture of the fullness of the cross. And so they had a, rev a recognition of who he is. This is the guy that hung on the cross. We see the scars in his hand. But as they begin to talk, they begin to get a revelation of who he really is and what that really meant. And it was the revelation component, I mean, I'm sorry, the resurrection component that really revealed the fullness of Jesus. Without the resurrection, you don't see the fullness of Jesus. You experience this part, and that's good, but it doesn't stop there because you have to have this piece as well. And so it's important for us to understand and get a revelation through the resurrection of who Jesus really is. The Lord is risen, they said. It is true. What is true? Well, he rose again. The resurrection's true. Therefore, everything he said is true. Therefore, he is not dead. Therefore, his death was simply a payment. Now, it's not the end, it's simply the beginning. And now, beginning, a new beginning can happen because of resurrection. And the resurrection means new beginnings. And now power is released, revelation comes, and power is released. And what happens is when they get that revelation, and listen, when they get that revelation, the Bible says all of a sudden, they turned around. They're no longer hanging their head, dejected and disappointed. All of a sudden, they turn around. Hey, let's not go home yet. Let's go back. Why are you going to go back to Jerusalem? Because everything's changed now. Because the resurrection changed everything. It wasn't the recognition that changed anything. It was the resurrection revelation that changed everything. And well, if we get a revelation of the resurrection of Jesus, it changes everything. I mean, I'm thankful for the payment, but I need to walk in the power because that's what the resurrection is. 
they recognize, they recognize the payment. And now all of a sudden they're starting to realize the power and who Jesus is and what he said. And I love that picture with these two gentlemen taking the trip and we're looking at their life and their discussion and being able to learn from it. They had a revelation of a resurrection. So everything he said was true and so therefore things aren't over. So let's go back to where we were and live again. We were mistaken. We didn't realize. We were just looking at the payment. But there's so much more because the resurrection brings a revelation and fullness of who he truly is. And so now our travelers begin to see a different picture and they start to head back. They start to head back and talk about it. There's a part of the, there's this part of the cross, the payment part. And then there's this part of the cross, the power part. And now they're beginning to realize there's more to it than what they thought. And I hope this morning we are reminded or for the first time experience and understand that. And so when Cleopas and his friend had a revelation, they turned around around. It turns you around. It turns your life around. It turns your situation around. It turns your circumstance around. It's the power that turns it around. And maybe they realize that it wasn't what they thought to begin with. Maybe they realize now that they see the revelation, there was more to it, the revelation of the resurrection. It wasn't that Jesus hung on the cross. Now they're starting to see this. It wasn't that Jesus hung on the cross because now he's alive again. He's not dead. It was something else stayed on the cross because Jesus didn't. It was all of a sudden, I got a revelation of my sin is what hung on the cross, not just Jesus. Now when I look at the cross, I don't see Jesus hanging there. I see my sin hanging there. And maybe they got a revelation now. Jesus is not on the cross anymore, but sickness and disease because that's what he died for. That's why he had stripes. That's why he took nails and a spear. And maybe they... Maybe they had a revelation, Jesus isn't on the cross anymore, but my bondage is on the cross. The chains that held me, the addictions and things in my life that kept me from doing and fulfilling what God had for me. And maybe they realized Jesus isn't on the cross anymore, but what's on the cross is my rejection. Feeling like I don't belong anywhere. People turning their back on me. I just, I can't feel like I belong anywhere. Maybe they realize what hung on the cross wasn't Jesus. It was my feeling of insignificant. I have no place and no purpose in this world. I have, maybe I have no value. Maybe people have told me my whole life, I'm worthless, never amount to anything. Maybe the revelation because of the resurrection to them meant that Jesus wasn't any longer on the cross, but my feeling of being unloved was. Because isn't the thing that made them walk away, dejected back to their hometown, actually the greatest proof of the love he has for humanity? The thing that they were disappointed and thought was the end, in fact, really truly was the beginning of the greatest act of love there could ever be for mankind. And so the revelation of the resurrection is Jesus isn't on the cross, but everything that you had, sin, sickness, disease, bondage, rejection, insignificance, and feeling of love, that's what's on the cross. That's what's hung there. And that's what stayed there. Because Jesus lives again. It's where my sin is. It's where my mistakes are. It's where I hang all my fears. It's where I hang all my doubts. It's where I hang all my failures. It's where I hang all my shame and all my guilt. It's where it's washed away. It's where my regrets are redeemed. All my bondage are broken. And now in light of the resurrection, maybe they reflected differently on his death. And they reflected differently on his death. And, and to know that what had caused him to walk away and disappointment and discouragement was really the greatest proof of his love. See, the crucifixion was really payment. It was payment. It was forgiveness for my sin. That Jesus paid for that. That I don't have to carry that any longer. It was healing for my sickness and disease. 
that was purchased on the cross. It was freedom that was purchased on the cross uh, for bondage and, and chains and things and addictions that held on my life. It was acceptance when I, when I felt not accepted anywhere else. I'm accepted into the family of God. I'm, I'm a son and daughter, and therefore I have great significance and great value, and no one else may value me in a sense, but Jesus did enough to die for me, and it was an act of love, again, the greatest act of love. So initially when... Amen. So initially, initially, when I look at the cross, I see my, my sin, my sickness, my bondage, uh, my insignificance, unloved, and my rejection there. But now, because of the resurrection, when I look over here, I see forgiveness and healing and freedom and acceptance and significance and love for me to walk in. So we can walk in that because of the resurrection. The resurrection changed everything. The revelation of the resurrection changed everything. And when I need to be reminded of how much God loves me, I don't have to look at my life. I just have to look at the cross. I mean, how many times do we walk in? I don't think this is wrong. I think this is right. We tell people, we just remind, remind of what God's done for you. Remind yourself of what God has already done. Remind you when he healed you when you were sick that time. Remember when he provided when you didn't have enough. Reminded when he loved you when you felt no one else did. Remember that, remember that. And that's great and appropriate to do. But can I tell you, we can take it a step further. Anytime you're feeling sick, anytime you're feeling rejected, you just remind yourself of the cross. You just remind yourself of the cross. He hasn't done anything for me in a long time. I mean, he healed me that one time and stuff, but I've been really end of time. Just be reminded of the cross, what he purchased and what he bought, what he lived and what he died for and then what he lived again for. That's where it was settled. It was settled on the cross. Okay, so that's what happened on the cross, but what happened at the cross? And I'm not just talking about the whole acts of crucifixion, and we understand all that, and, and probably most of us know that as Jesus was illegally taken from the garden and had a trial that wasn't right or appropriate, and he was beaten and whipped, and he was just indistinguishable. You couldn't tell who he was. He was beaten and bruised so badly, and a crown of thorns put on his head. When you look at the cross, we're not looking at a sign that uh, was placed above there that mocking him in three languages, king of the Jews. We're not talking about a crown of thorns, and that's truly what happened. We're not talking about nails in his hands and his feet and a spear in his side. And that's truly what happened. When we look at the cross, we see on the cross, forgiveness, healing, freedom, acceptance, significance, and love. But what happened around the cross is just as important as what happened on the cross. Because as you look in the scripture and you see what happened at the cross, maybe it's more appropriate to say it this way. We know who was on the cross and that was Jesus between two thieves. But it's interesting to me if you study who was at the cross when Jesus was there. Because Jesus had a ministry on the earth and, and three and a half years, he had a huge following, he had a huge team, and yet he died almost alone. And so Jesus says he goes to the cross and they're nailing him there and he's looking around and he's looking to see who's there. And, He's looking for people that he knew, the people that he thought would be there for him, perhaps. And when you read the Gospels, you can find out who that is. Matthew, Mark, and Luke really don't give you much of a picture who was at the cross because they weren't at the cross. They can't really write about what they don't know. And so what they mention, they, they mention a few ladies around the cross, and they mention everybody watching from afar off. All three Gospels do that. And, Mark, and Matthew goes so far as to even imply that everyone abandoned him. Where was his team? He had a big team. And in his greatest struggle and pain, where was his team? And, and so all of a sudden, you could almost picture one disciple, however, was there, and it's John. John speaking up. Well, hold on, Matthew. You say everyone abandoned him. I didn't. <laughs> And I love John for so many reasons, but I, I love John because John has a, 
he gave himself, he gave him own self a nickname, right? It's cool to get a nickname, but when you give yourself a nickname, right? Because in his own book, he writes and calls himself in his book, the one whom Jesus loved. That's his nickname, the beloved, right? Got a nickname, John. I was there. Matthew, not everyone abandoned him. The one who Jesus loved, he was there. He was there with him. But it wasn't the people that you would think because all of a sudden now, where's Peter? Peter's like the real bold one, right? Peter's the one that says at, at the Last Supper and other places that they'll have to come through me to get to you. And so much so that Jesus rebukes him. And he's like, well, they'll have to fight me for you. He cuts an ear off in the garden, right? He's the guy that had the courage to step out of the boat and walk on water. But you would think Peter would be there, but Peter's not, not there. He's not there at the foot of the cross. What about Andrew, Peter's brother, who's the one that introduced Peter to Jesus? You gotta see this man. He's incredible, and he is, and he's not there. What about Nathaniel, Bartholomew? What about Simon the Zealot? Where's James, son of thunder, where they're at? None of them are there. John's the only one there, and I wanna say this when you look at the cross. You have to remember, in your hardest moments, your cross moments, if you will, maybe sometimes the people you expect to be there will not be there. But somebody was there. And his name was John. And what I find fascinating about this idea about John being there, when Jesus is on the cross, and he, maybe he's looking around to see who else was there, John was there, and I can imagine, I don't know about you, but if I'm on the cross, I'm probably not even seeing John. I'm looking for the ones who aren't there. Seriously, Peter, I knew I should have let you just sink and not helped you back up out of that, out of that wave and stuff, really? <laughs> if that's me, I'm like, man, why don't I just let him go to the bottom? Where's he at? Let's take a look at John 19, 25. Let's take a look. Near the cross of Jesus stood, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. His mother stood there with him. Now, when we read this and we're about the cross and the different gospels and the account there, and John tells who's at the cross, he tells Jesus' mother's at the cross. We don't have anything recounting anything she said. We don't have any documentation of her saying anything. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. It doesn't say she spoke a word, but she was there. She stood with him. And we all have our cross moments. We've just said that a minute ago, our greatest challenges and greatest pains. But sometimes the greatest thing you can do for someone is just to stand with them. You don't have to say a word. Just be there. Just stand there with them. Support them. You don't see Peter. And Peter was loud, right? The ones that, that we're with you till the end that aren't there. Can I just say, here's a principle we can learn from the cross. Loud does not mean loyal. Loud does not mean loyal. And so we're investing in so many other people that are loud. But at your cross moment, they may be the very ones that disappear. But take heart because let's look and see who else is at the cross. So Jesus his mother was there, Mary, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Basically, it looks like a Mary small group was at the, come on, that was funny. Come on, a Mary small group at the, okay, all right. I'm still going to use it second service. Okay. And, uh, cause they laugh at my jokes. Uh, so his mother's there and the others are there. And then it says this in verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother, now picture, picture when Jesus saw his mother there, I love this. And the disciple whom he loved, which John's like writing, and the disciple whom he loved, that's me. <laughs> and uh, standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And he said to the disciple, John, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Now, now get the picture here. Jesus in his greatest moment, abandoned by the people that you would think would be there. And who he sees at the foot of his cross is his mother that's going to stand there no matter what, stand there through the difficulty. We can't even imagine how hard it would be for you, a mother, to see her son that way. Stand there 
and then you see another disciple, John, standing there, and he tells John to take care of his mother. And here's what I want to submit to you this morning, that the cross is a reminder that no matter how hard it gets for you, payment has been made. But beyond that, God will always make sure you have a Mary at the foot of your cross that will stand with you through the hardest of times, and you have a John at your cross that will help you when nobody else will. So no matter how difficult it gets, because of this right here, because of this right here, God will make sure you have someone standing with you. Don't even have to say a word that'll be there through thick and thin and somebody that'll be there to help you and do what you need help with. And John, in fact, took care of Mary till his dying day and he, died, he lived to be 100 and he was the only disciple that died of natural causes. Tens were, ten were martyred, horribly martyred and Jesus, of course, took his own life and, and Mary died of old age as well in Ephesus there with them. But in your most difficult time, the cross is a reminder because of this right here, this relationship right here, God will always make sure that you have a Mary and a John in your life. Even when everybody else seems like they've abandoned you, the cross is a reminder that he will provide. But that doesn't complete the cross. This doesn't complete the cross. This is great, but it doesn't complete the cross because there's another piece to the cross. There's a cross piece and it takes two. It takes this and it takes this. It takes two. It takes this and this. Understand to complete the picture of the cross, you need the crucifixion and the resurrection and we can separate them and study them separately, but it takes both of them to complete the picture. It takes two. Do you get that this morning? Tell your neighbor, it takes two. Now tell your neighbor to make a thing go right. (laughs) I know. And that's fun. You don't want to admit it, but it's funny. And now I will be a blessing to you all day as that goes on in your head. So it takes two. It takes two. We need both. Look at Philippians 2 1 through 12. Therefore, if any encouragement from being united with Christ, if, if you have any encouragement of being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. Basically, he's saying, if you have this, you get it? That relationship right here. If you have this, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mine. Basically, he's saying, so making it complete, you have to give it here. You receive it here and you give it here. You get it here and you give it here. Here's the problem we have. We don't typically have a problem right here but it's right here because in our human nature, what we want to do is we want to receive it here, but we have to receive it here and we don't get it here. We give it here. We get it here and give it here. In other words, we are validated and forgiven and healed and free and accepted and significant and loved here. And then now we're empowered because of the resurrection then to give it here. So we receive it so we can release it. And that's the power of the revelation of the resurrection. And I, I want to explain it to you a, a little bit more. We receive it and we release it. Payment has been made. Now power has been released. And I, know, and I want to show you how the resurrection then fits into this. Because the reality is, these things that we've received from Jesus, it's hard to give it away. It's hard to forgive other people. It's hard to love the unlovely. It's hard, it's hard to walk in unity. It's hard to do those things because in our humanity and the shortcomings of people and our own shortcomings, so we need a power greater than our own. Come on, we need a power greater than our own ability. And the resurrection power then became ours. When you receive this, this power, you've also received, you received the payment, you've also received the power. In fact, let me show that to you in scripture. 
Let's take a look in Ephesians 1, 18 to 23. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And his, listen to this in verse 19, and his incomparably great power, a power that cannot be compared with, that has no equal for us who believe. Look at me, for this, for those that are doing this, there's an incomparably great power available to you. Amen. And he says, that power, and let me go a little bit further because now he begins to expound. He says, and let me tell you about that power in case you're still wondering what, what I'm talking about. That power is the same as the mighty strength he, God, exerted when he, God, raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms. In other words, it's resurrection power. That same power is available to those who've already experienced this. That same power to do this is available to you. Incomparably great power released in your life to walk out a victorious life. It is for those who believe. Resurrection power is for those who believe. So once you get this settled, then you have access to this. And let me tell you how important that is. Let me finish out the scripture here. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, continue to describe what's happening and every name that is invoked, not only in present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You know what he's talking about here? He's talking about a power beyond your natural ability to live out a life of victory because now the payment has been made and you've received it. Now the power has been released for you because of the resurrection for those who believe. So that means as you're living out this life and you're struggling, you're walking out life and you're having a hard time in your marriage and maybe you're having a, a hard time in your, in your family and your, your kids and especially if you've got teenagers. But let me tell you, when you've got adult children, that's a whole nother level right there and, and you're... <laughs> and your job and, and what's happening in your job and you, you might not like your job and they're not treating you right and your friends and those that you thought were with you and all of a sudden they abandon you in hard times. But what about your dreams because now everything has changed and nothing is what I thought it would be and it's all different now. And what about your future? I can't even see a future because of what's happening in life now and the resurrection power for those who've received here that's been releasing you right now is for you to receive, you've received this and now you can release it into your life. Look, you can release it into your marriage, your family, your job, your friends, your dreams, and your future. What do I mean by that? Now resurrection power that's incomparable. It's a great mighty strength that God exerted. Now a miracle can happen in your job because of resurrection power. A power is released in your marriage and now you can walk together and have a new beginning. Hope rises up when you had no more dreams because the power of the resurrection. You can have a new beginning in your family because of what the resurrection means in a relationship established again with your kids. You get a fresh start with your friends. You get a, you're gonna do over here. I got a lot of cards. You get a do-over right here. You, you can take your family to the next level. You get favor and your job, wherever that is. I don't even remember now. And your future can live again. Why? Resurrection power. Right here. Right here. You get this, the payment. Now step into this. Step into this. And listen. There, wait, there's more. No, no, really. Go back uh, to verse 19. Because this came to me in prayer yesterday. 19, his incomparably great power, the same mighty strength. Okay, let's go to 20. 
He exerted himself and he raised Christ from the dead. Oh, yeah, 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 this one, this one. Resurrection power means that you're seated in heavenly places. You're seated in heavenly places with Jesus. It's not normal for you now. You're in this world, but you're not of this world. You're seated. Your hopes and dreams are in heavenly places. But wait, there's more because resurrection power does not end. Then it goes on to say this. You're seated in, at him in his right hand in heavenly realms. Look at what it says. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. You're far above the things of this world that say your marriage won't work. I'm far above that. Hey, everybody else's marriage is falling apart, but I'm, my marriage is far above that. I'm, my family's far above. My family's not going to fall into what the world falls in. I'm far above the other employees of my job. I'm far above this. I'm far above, I'm far above this. I'm far above. It's not normal. It's not the same anymore. And I love this one. And I, I should have made less. <laughs> and uh, I'm getting tired, right? I'm getting tired. If I are above rule and authority, power and dominion, in every name that is invoked, listen, not only in this present age, but right now, but in the age to come into your future, he's got it all covered. And God placed all things under his feet. Listen, everything attacking your marriage is under your feet. Everything attacking your family is under your feet. It's been defeated. Everything, demonic activity is under your feet. The devil is under your feet. <laughs> All that is under your feet. Why? Because of resurrection power. Resurrection power. And I, I'm gonna, this, wow, this one's good. Okay, yeah, okay. Pray for me. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything in the church. Listen, which is his body. The fullness, say fullness. Resurrection power brings the fullness of God in your life. Resurrection power brings fullness in your marriage. When you've been living as strangers, his resurrection power can bring fullness into your relationship. When you feel that you're estranged from your kids, old adult kids or teenagers, God can bring fullness back into that relationship. And your job, when you feel like you have been looked over, looked past, he can bring fullness there. He can bring fullness in your life, in your dreams, in your hopes. He can bring fullness, fullness. In fact, the scripture, as I finish it out, fullness, listen, fullness. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I thought about making cards everything in every way, but I'm glad I didn't. And, uh, but it's true. It's true. The resurrection power does this. Oh, thank goodness for the payment. And when you see the cross, you don't see your sin anymore. You see forgiveness, healing, freedom, acceptance, significance, and love. And then when you have that revelation of who he is and you receive that resurrection power, then it flows in you and through you and it brings fullness to every area of your life. And that. And that is the complete picture. And that's what turned those two dejected men around when the revelation, not when the recognition came, that's important, but when the revelation came that he's alive, that changed everything. And it'll change your life too. Oh, it begins with the payment. The most important thing is receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord. You'll get everything you need right here. And the problem is when we try and get it this way. No, we're not to get it this way. We give it this way. But we receive it like this. 
When we receive our validation, our forgiveness from him, we don't need it from anyone else. We receive our acceptance and everything from him, we don't need it from anyone else. In fact, then when we receive it from him, then the resurrection power enables us then to apply that to our life and reach out with other people that way. And that is the story. That's our story. For all those who believe, the scripture says. Thanks again for joining us this week. We pray that this message encouraged and inspired you. If you want to find out how you can be a part of Tree of Life, just go to our website, treeoflifechurch.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend.